0: Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Talk for Two. You know the sponsors. We talk about them almost every single episode. We're not going to touch that today because today I have my favorite co-host with me, one of my favorite co-hosts, I should say, because I get to do this with a couple of different people, but it is always fun. When Hirsch Ellis joins us, how are you, sir?
2: Well, I was fine until I realized I wasn't the favorite. Well, you are and one. There's
1: another I'm... guy, Chris Ortiz. Hi, Chris. And the two of you, it's equally as fun, but we talk about different Great. things. Next time I see you, we're gonna, okay. fight. <laughs> we're gonna fight. over. <laughs> what have you been up to, man? It's uh, you've been busy, world traveler.
2: Busy. Yeah, it's been it's been just a busy fall. It's been a lot of. Um, back-to-back projects, which is you know really nice to be employed uh, when you're a theater artist. It's nice to be working. I'm in a little downtime right now, and then I, I go into a pretty jam-packed spring. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, spring's always busy for you. Uh, and it's always tough to pin you down. Yeah, either is or either really, really is Yeah. It depends. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's been, it was kind of a busy fall for both of us going to a lot of different Broadway press and stuff. And uh, it's always fun. I love having you with me when we go to these because you get to provide context. I love Broadway, but you're in the business you're closer to a Tony than most people who are twice your age, and uh, I want to say that because you're just so talented, and you just but you know the ins and outs of the business, and so it's always fun to have you with me. I don't know if you feel strong-armed when I take you along, but uh, <laughs> it's it's good. You're like the encyclopedia of Broadway. Here, what's that?
2: I was trying for Tony this year. I was trying to be a producer Hades Hadestown, but it didn't pan out. No, no,
1: no. But you'll, you'll find yours. And you know what? The great thing is it's all in the timing. When you find yours, I think it'll just be perfect timing and it'll line up and it'll be a great kind of culmination for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but I'd like a Tony, so <laughs> if it can Well that'd be well,
1: Do you want a Tony for producing or do you want a Tony for directing? Or let me rephrase. Do you need to... Or plus I don't no, no, no. Let me, let me rephrase. Do you, is it better to try, if you get a Tony for producing or you get in as a co-producer on a, a, a Tony nominated play, does that open bigger doors for you in terms of a path to a directing Tony? I mean, it's a pretty damn
2: good branding exercise, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, <laughs> how could get, I mean, like, it's one of those things like, would winning a Tony hurt your career? No. Um, is it essential? No. Right. Um, yeah, I, you know, it, I'll take, I'll take my mark and get it. I'll say that. I'll, exactly. I can win too. And I
1: should say for people, if you're hearing a little bit of in and out or a little bit of hissing, unfortunately, we may have had you fooled up to this point. We're not in the same room. I have him over FaceTime. I'm home in Pennsylvania for the holidays and you, you just Hanukkah just dropped. Hanukkah was early this year. Yeah, it was. Um, I kept forgetting it was Hanukkah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we did too. Max and I did too. It was it was kind of funny. Yeah. The first night, I was like, "Hey, Max, do you know what it is?" And he goes, "What? It's Hanukkah." Oh yeah, I remember now. <laughs> yeah, it's not.
2: I hate to say it's not a thing, but it's not really a thing. What do you mean? Yeah, I was for I always forget you're dating. Anymore. Yes,
1: yes, I am. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Yeah, and then you meet him and go, "Oh, yeah, he is. He so is. Oh, yes, uh, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, he is probably one of the only Cherokee Jews in existence. So you never know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because of uh, his father's well, lineage. So, what percentage Cher- share is his father I don't on know, but his father does work on a reservation in one of the Dakotas, and it's a it's a whole thing. But um, his uh, his Makeup in terms of like his hair and his face, facial structure—it's just so unique because of that unique blend. And historically, he just can't catch a no. break. <laughs> Hersh, if the whole directing Tony thing doesn't work out, please go into stand-up. I swear to God, <laughs> I could book you all over.
2: <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm I'm stand-up funny. I, have you have you watched the season of Marvel's Mrs. Maisel yet? We no.
1: are five episodes deep. Have you watched it yet?
2: I finished. I was, I've been home sick, so I finished it. That's
1: the thing. It. Max is like, watch more, watch more. I'm, I'm like, it, there won't be another season until at least the spring. If that, why go through the whole thing? And cause me, when I binge watch I, which I do do, I lose the next season comes out and then I lose part of the story. Like, oh yeah. Okay. If you watch it spaced out, you remember more and just savor it. It's <laughs> like, you don't eat the whole jar of cookies at once.
2: I don't know. I just kind of get on the ride, and I want to keep watching. And then, you know, you get off the ride, and it, I enjoy it more when I can just
1: stay with. That's it. fair. That is. Yeah, but there's,
2: there's a conversation there where where Joel is talking about how he's not funny, and um, his friend goes, "You're you're you are funny," and he goes, "Not in a not in a uh, mid sort of stand up sort of way." And he goes, "No, no, no, you're not. Like <laughs> fall into that category.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You'd be a good storyteller." And speaking of stories, speaking of things that have happened to us, let's get to it today. That's probably the crappiest transition in the world, but I could talk to you for hours about about anything and we'd never get to it. We had, I want to open with the thing we were at that was the first time for me. Had you been to the Hammerstein, Oscar Hammerstein Awards?
2: I had, no. I've been to the York for a bunch of events. I'd never been to their uh, gala, which is the Hammerstein Awards.
1: Did Philip, which we'll talk about Philip at the end of this, but did Philip, because uh, he's kind of a common thread here, um, did he say this was their first time at that venue?
2: I didn't, I didn't follow that. But if he said that to you, then I, he might, I have. might
1: be misremembering. But I know that they were kind of taken aback by where they had put the press and kind of how much of it was like people trying to do the red carpet, but also have cocktail hour before the award ceremony. And
2: what? we took it was wild. We talked. No, but it you know look it's it's it was really just a great benefit for the York. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want do you want me to talk about Please the York do. Theater Please. for a second? The York Theater is an off Broadway theater. It's in the Upper East Side, and it's really committed to um, presenting and developing new musicals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really one of the full one of the few musical th- companies in New York City that's really dedicated to the American musical.
1: Oh wow, what? For those of us that don't know, and I'm not going to say I'm one of them because I, I should know, uh, but what are some musicals that have come out of there that pop culture, people that follow Broadway, that they would know that's gone on maybe one um, awards, all that stuff?
2: I should know the answer to this question. Um, let me think for a second.
1: <laughs> but you don't. Um. I think he means Google. <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of any
2: off the top of my head. I've seen a lot of readings and workshops yep. there. Um, the most recent one I can think of is Desperate Measures, yep. which just won a bunch of awards last oh, year cool. and is currently playing at uh, New World Stages. Yes.
1: yes, New World Stages. That's great. Well, this award is one of the top industry awards. Can, do, you, do you know a little bit about the award itself? Uh, it's for commitment to
2: the musical theater. You know, Oscar Hammerstein really invented the book. Mm. The musical book, um, and they've given it to a lot of extremely, extremely accomplished, um, people in the past. You know, it's been given to Stephen Sondheim. It's been given to to and Stephen Flaherty. It's been given to uh, Hal Prince, Cameron MacIntosh, John Kander and Fred Abb, um, John Kander who was there, uh, Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick. It's these really
1: people who have
2: committed to the American musical, and it's really been given to a lot of mm-hmm. legends.
1: Well, that was a great way to explain it, Hirsch. But uh, I want to also let the producing artistic director, James Morgan, talk about the Hammerstein Awards and the York Theater in his own words. Here we are. Uh, My first Hammerstein Awards. So, tell us a little bit about what the award is, what it means, what you guys do, how you come to the decision of who to honor. Tell us all about it.
3: Um. Well, the this is the 27th Oscar Hammerstein Award. It's being given. It give. It's being It is given every year for lifetime achievement in musical theater. We've had a wonderful lineup of people over the years that we've honored. Uh, Susan Stroman feels like someone we should have honored before and we just haven't. She has such an incredible career. It's kind of uh, easy to look over some of the amazing things she has created or been involved with over the years we have lamps on every table that have posters of different shows she has been involved with over the years and I was amazed it was like a history lesson oh I didn't remember she did that oh and and it's it's all about honoring the people who have significantly contributed to the American musical theater as an art form. And if she isn't the perfect person for it, I don't know who is.
1: So how did you come to the decision that this was the year and how did you approach her? What was that process? Well,
3: the great thing is our associate artistic director, Michael Unger, who is also our director of education and who is putting together the show this evening, um, worked with her on Steel Pier years ago and uh, and a couple of other projects too and so we were talking about possibilities and I threw out her name and he said "Oh, I can get to her and everyone thought it was a great idea so happily sometimes people are that you don't know that you don't have a connection to are hard to uh, connect to mm-hmm. happily there was no problem here he was able to call her up or email or something and he sh- she said Yes, I'd love to do that. And so this is an amazingly easy one. We've had other people where you had to negotiate or find the right date and all of that. Uh, Stroh was just incredibly uh, wonderful about it and supportive of the idea
1: and wanted to do it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, sir. Have a great evening. Thank you. You know, it is just so wonderful to be involved and to be there to see the theater community really support each other and support itself and honor the work. And we'll, we'll get to Susan Stroman in a minute, but you get some luminaries involved that just, it's just one accomplished person after another. And you yelled at me for not talking to this next gentleman long enough, Brad Oscar. (laughs) What yeah. what was it you said I should have asked him that if you remember that I didn't get to ask him about I was so rushed it was so cramped and we're looking around for what they effect, they affectionately referred to her as Stro and I talked yeah. to him for a And minute. they were honoring
2: Susan this <laughs> year if we didn't say that
1: was yet Was that
2: If we didn't say that yet they were honoring Susan Stroman this yes. year
1: Yes yes they were honoring Susan Stroman you mentioned that uh before we threw to James but uh, here is the interview with Brad Oscar Hello, Mr. Brad Oscar. How are you, sir? Well, how are you? How many Susan Stroman shows have you done over the years? Um, three. 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 I think three. What do you love about working with her across, across the board?
3: Well, um, wow. Well, I guess what I really love is that um, because she was a performer originally... She knows exactly what's going on up there in our heads, in our bodies and all that. So she is able to work with actors and and dancers and singers or whatever um, in a a way that is much different from uh, directors and choreographers who never were on the other side. There's just a certain simpatico and understanding. And so um, her demands, uh, the way that she were, you know, we want to be the best that we can be because she finds that way to tap into you know your inner whatever that is that can ideally make you the best performer that, that you could be.
1: Wonderful, thank you so much. It's great. Have a good evening. Thanks for being here, thank you. Tell me a little bit more about his credits, Brad Oscar, what you? Brad Oscar? Yeah. Um, well, I think
2: you know I think that he really popped onto everybody's radar for the producer. He played Franz Liebkin. Mm-hmm. He's actually unfortunately the only original cast member to not be in the movie. Um, he was replaced with Will Ferrell because um, they wanted a, a marquee name. But he's been in, she's a Broadway guy for forever. You know, he he was in, you know, Frankie the Stroh, he was in Big Fish. He's really done a lot of work with Susan Stroman. Mm-hmm. They worked together a ton.
1: And another group that came back, the show went off a couple of years ago, uh, but they this shows you the love that they have for this woman.
2: Way of putting what? It. Went off is a generous way of putting it. It really didn't run very well. Well,
1: still, even though it didn't run very long, the cast remained loyal to her. And that is, of course, the cast. Of the Scottsboro Boys, cast of the Scottsboro Boys. How does it feel to be back together again here at the gala?
0: Great. I mean, that show was such a family-oriented. We're all like brothers in it, and it's great to be back together. It's very emotional, actually, to me. So, yeah, to be
1: back, with everyone. All right, rapid fire. I'm going to go around. Speak loud because I'm leaning like this. Describe Susan Stroman in one word. I'm going to go all the way around. Beautiful. Fierce.
4: Inspiring.
5: Never actually met her.
1: (laughs) Kind,
0: passionate, meticulous, captain, focused,
1: beautiful. Of the shows of hers that you weren't in, of the shows of hers that you weren't in. What's your favorite Susan Stroman show?
0: Contact. Crazy for you.
5: Young Frank.
4: The producers. Showboat.
0: (laughs) Okay. Pass. Pass. Uh, crazy for you.
5: Big fish. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, was there, so I couldn't say it. he said, "Morning." Hey, so, yeah,
0: I was like, I got you. I should
5: have
1: been here. It was great. What'd you love about being in Big Fish?
0: The heart of the show. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful heart.
1: It was, and it was beautifully produced as well. Gentlemen, I know it's crowded in here, I know it's loud, and I know it's gonna be a fun night. Thank you so much for coming Thank over. You. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're building up to it. We've built up to it. I'm going to just let you, I might even go get a drink of water because I know you love her work and you love her to death. Tell me, tell our listeners all about Susan Stroman. Uh, I mean, look,
2: Stro has been a, an icon of the theater for for probably the last 20, 30 years now. You know, We, we forget how far away, we are. it feels like Producers wasn't that long ago, but Producers was 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, already a pretty, extreme, a pretty well-established theater artist at that point. You know, she came up as a choreographer, um, as a choreographer working with Hal Prince on many, many occasions, yeah. um, and then really out, um, choreographing the original production oh. of Crazy for You. Oh, wow. Um, and then, uh, has in her fought, uh, 20 years and five Tony Awards later, she's created the Producers and Contact and Scottsboro Boys and Big Fish and a piece I just saw last year, Beast in the Jungle, that was really excellent. Um, and probably one of my favorite things I've seen her do in a long time. Oh, cool. Um, she just is one of those people who's lived a life in the theater.
1: That's awesome. And one of the sweetest people to talk to and and uh, just so down to earth. And I really enjoyed our little interview. So here it is, Susan Stroman. Hi, nice to meet you and congratulations. You. Before we get to why you're here tonight, who convinced you? I was at the Drama League Gala last week. Who convinced you to be the angel, go up there, announce dinner? Who told you to do all of that? Who got you to do it?
6: I know. Well, the wonderful director of the gala there, he, he called me in, because they wanted me to come and speak, but then they thought it'd be more fun to do a cameo. And I thought, you know, a cameo would actually make Nathan laugh, and that's what we all long for, is to get Nathan to laugh. So uh, the minute I came out, you know, I could hear Nathan laughing, so it made, it made it a great night for all of us. That
1: is so great. So how does it feel to be honored with the ha- Oscar Hammerstein Award tonight, York Theatre?
6: Well, it's a big honor, you know, Oscar Hammerstein was the leader of telling stories in the theater, and so all of us really ride on his um, shoulders. And uh, so, too, when I got the call, I was overwhelmed, really. And, of course, to be here also to help the York Theater. Um, so, So to have the combination of this incredible award and then to have this be a gala for the York. Because the York does new works, and we need to support that, so I'm very thrilled to be here.
1: Do you have a production throughout your incredibly esteemed career, and all the Tony Awards and everything, do you have a production that is most near and dear to your heart that you worked on, or is it like trying to choose a child?
6: Well, yeah, of course the one that's nearest and dearest to me is the one I'm always working on at the moment. Because they're all very special to me. Right now I'm doing a new piece called Marie, which we're going out of town in Seattle. It stars Tyler Peck and uh, Terrence Mann, who I think are going to do something tonight from i I'm not supposed to know what's going on, but I know a little bit. Uh, So that's the one, of course, that's most dear to me right now.
1: And they think the White House has a problem with leaking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the question is: Are you always learning? Do you learn from every single production that you do, and do you bring that knowledge with you into the next thing that you work on?
6: Well, yes. I I I'm very lucky to do diverse stories, so I can do something like The Producers, or The Scottsboro Boys, or Contact. So it's I'm very lucky to tell different kinds of stories, and so you learn all the time from different sto- types of storytelling. But also, you are inspired by all the actors and uh, and uh, you know getting to work with different set designers and it's uh, you always learn from every show that you do
1: wonderful my last question for you with everything going on and it's been 10 years since it was on Broadway would you like to see a revival of the Scottsboro Boys
6: sure I'd love to see a revival of the Scottsboro Boys I you know
1: from what I know about it I think we should we need it but <laughs> Congratulations on everything and for a wonderful career in this award tonight. Thank you for being with us today.
6: Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.
1: And that's it for the Hammerstein Awards. You're a Jew. is it Hammerstein or Hammerstein? I'm always, as a goy, <laughs> like, freak, it's lingo there. freaking it's lingo out there. that I'm getting it wrong.
2: <laughs> um, I think he pronounced it Stein, but it... Um, and I've always heard it pronounced Stein. Mm-hmm. But it it depends on the name, Stein or Steen.
1: Now we get to an event that you work every year, and I don't know why at this point now that you've graduated. And I don't want to sound greedy when I ask this: What keeps you motivated to work with the Drama League? Are you hoping to get one uh, one of their fellowships? Work with the Drama League? Yes.
2: I was there for info about the for the um, info session about their fellowships. Um, they really do a lot of work, work for young directors, and they really try to keep us in their system. So they have us in and out all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So they're, we're at a lot of their major events because they really just keep a tab on young directors.
1: Oh, that's really awesome. That is really, really yeah. awesome. And uh, this year, the yeah. Drama League Gala honored uh, one of my favorite people. And I keep that
2: event because I've got a bunch of friends that work for the Drama League that are in their office. And it's they invite me, and I go hang out with them. And... You know, I sit back and watch the show, and it's a nice night at the Plaza Hotel, and you get aware wear of tux.
1: Yeah, and uh, Nathan Lane, I know that uh, from it, that it's been a long time coming for them to be able to get him to do this and uh, take the honor, and uh, he is just, you know, I've noticed this with a lot of theater people, a lot of theater people don't like press and. And, and when you do, when they do the red carpet, they're often quite shy, but then you see them on stage and wow, holy crap. Nathan's
2: a pretty shy guy. Yeah,
1: he is. And, uh, well, before we get to him, of course, we're going to save him for last in this section. I want to throw to the board president, Stan Ponte and why he wanted to honor Nathan and actually how it came about. Hello, Hello, sir. What a you? year. I'm great. How are you? I'm
4: good, thank you. Nice to see you. Nice to
1: see you. The, uh, the sort of buzz around here is Nathan Lane, finally. It's been quite the uh, drama in the making. <laughs>
4: yep, I think that's right, and I think uh, anyone sitting in the audience this year during Angels in America, if one didn't think that he'd reached a kind of great point in his career, it was sealed. I know certainly, personally, sitting in the audience, I was exhausted. And then I would remind myself, wait a minute. I'm not doing anything, he's killing it on the stage. So, very interesting, very exciting.
1: When was his name first entered into the conversation as maybe, possibly, it could maybe come about?
4: Well, I think uh, Nathan Lane, as one of the real, you know, stalwarts of the New York stage, has been floating around as a name for a while now you know the good news is is that there's a lot of people in the theater that deserve this honor um, so to bring his name up this year to have him, him accept and to do it in a year when he's had such a critically acclaimed dramatic role i think is just perfect
1: and then to also honor fran weisman what a wonderful thing to co-honor two theatrical luminaries what led to the decision to have not just one but two honorees this year
4: Well, we wanted to create this opportunity uh, for unbelievable vision in the American theater. And I think for anyone who doesn't know Fran's personal story and how she started in the theater, when her first production was, and how she did it, everyone uh, watching tonight will learn about that. And I hope that if people don't know about it, that they read about it. Because she truly is a maverick in the theater. And for all of us in our 30s and 40s and 50s, her first production wasn't until she was already in her 50s on Broadway. So I think it creates this energy where, hey, anyone can still make it. And now she's 90 years old, going strong, and I think one of the most beloved producers on Broadway.
1: That is really wonderful. Well, sir, I know that you have a long night ahead of you, so thank you for spending a few minutes thank with us. Thank
4: you for spending time with us.
1: It's always so great when the celebrities say yes. You know, it's and I don't know if they've ever had somebody say no No, thank you. Because Drama League seems to be such an important part of theatrical development in New York.
2: Yeah. And they honored Nathan with the Drama League Award a few years
1: Mm -hmm. ago. Uh,
2: First performance in The Nance. Oh, wow. I believe.
1: What's the difference Um, between the gala honoree and and the Drama League Award? What's the major difference? Drama League Award is the award for distinguished
2: performance in the New York season. Mm -hmm. So what happens is they nominate, like, 30 people. Uh, leading supporting feature, doesn't really matter. It's one category for distinguished performance by an actor. Mm-hmm. And then they um, uh, hold this big event at the Marriott Marquis. And the award really goes to um, one person, like, like the performance of the season, basically. And you can win it once in your career. Mm-hmm. Like, this year it went to Glenda Jackson for her work in Three Tall Women. um. Neil Patrick Harris won it for Hedwig, uh, Ben Platt for Dear Evan Hansen, Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton, wow. Peter Rivera for The Visit. It really is just the, the most distinguished performance of the New York theater season. Wonderful.
1: And the gala is just such a fun... It's almost like, to me, in a weird way, it's become like the unofficial holiday kickoff because the plaza is already decorated for Christmas and you know, Christmas music It's early November. So the music has started playing and people are, you know, hungry for their sugar cookies and all that, you know, Christmas sweetness. And you get to just have fun with these people. And it's almost like the spirit of the upcoming holiday permeates that gala because everybody is so fun to be around at that gala.
2: Yeah. And they're all, they're really all over. I was during the show. I looked up and I was, um, Standing next to Billy Eichner.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you have to look up to see him. Dude, it's tall. Yeah, I never realized how tall he was. Yeah, I and I never realized how gay he was until he opened his mouth. I don't watch Billy on the street. And then I Googled him, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Another gay interviewer, yay. Uh, but um, it, he's, he's nice. He, did, he didn't talk to many people. I could tell that he was a little shy. He came over, did the Drama League. I, I always stand next to the Drama League camera. And he did the thing for the house camera and then left. He took photos and left and I didn't get to get to nab him. But uh, he's really nice. Although I'll tell you who I did get to talk to.
2: Who did you get to talk to? And
1: he did the voice. Two inches away from me, Ernie Sabella.
3: Mm. The
1: closest I could get to asking him, please do the voices. So do you get asked to do the voice a lot? And he knows a cue when he hears one. Have a listen. Hello, sir. How are you this evening? Great. I have to ask, after all these years, do you still get asked to do the voice?
7: Yes, I do. And tonight we're singing Hakuna Matata
1: to Nathan Lane, me and Matthew Broderick. Oh, my goodness. And he doesn't know, right? He doesn't know about it. How did you... I mean, it's the obvious pick, but how did you decide that that's what you would sing?
7: Well, other people decide. I think the director wanted me to do it. And I said, I'll do it.
1: Awesome. I have to ask, when you went in to do the voice recordings, when you went in... When you went in to do the voice recordings, what was your chemistry like with Nathan from the start? Well, we
7: knew each other. We were doing Guys and
1: Dolls at the time. And it was because of Nathan
7: that I got the part because they asked us to go in and, you know, read the hyenas. And Nathan said, well, Ernie will come with me and we'll read them together. And they loved what we did. And then they saw us on stage and they asked us to be Timon and Pumbaa, which were not in the movie until they saw us.
1: That is really cool. How did you find the character, the voice, the persona of your character?
7: Well, I uh, I was watching The Godfather, and Michael Gazzo uh, was doing a scene in in the Senate. And he was saying things like, well, Mr. Corleone wants me to do this. Mr. Corleone wants me to do that. I don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, I've got to use that voice
1: someday for something. So
7: I I used it for Boomba.
1: And it has become iconic, and it is a part of the Disney lexicon. And thank you for all of the memories. Thank you, sir. Wonderful. Thank you. Great meeting you. Such a, a jolly person. I'd love to see him play Santa Claus in something. <laughs> it was so fun.
2: Speaking of Billy Eichner, Nathan Lane, and how Ernie uh, ties into this, yeah. uh, Billy Eichner is going to be in the new um. Lion King movie, playing Timon, Nathan Lane's role. Oh,
1: that's right.
2: Um, opposite Seth Rogan playing playing Pumbaa.
1: How do you feel um, about if, that? I just I don't know what Disney's doing. The trailer looks pretty much like a shot-for-shot
2: shot remake of the of the original movie.
1: Yeah, it's just because it's it's people say, oh, it's live action. No, it's animation again. It's just animation that can make you think it looks like live action, you know. And maybe they're <laughs> blending it in with actual shots of stuff. I don't know, but why why touch classics? Is there artistic I'm, merit to it? Cast
2: is too, <laughs> Excuse me. Is
1: there artistic cast,
2: merit to it? This cast is too good to not be excited about mm-hmm. it. Um, but if you really want to laugh, look up Nathan Lane on—I think it's Colbert—where he reads the letter he sent to Billy Eichner uh, upon finding out that Billy Eichner was going to be in um, the the Lion King film because it is funny. Okay. And that is Nathan Lane is—he's so funny. He got up. Uh, I'm not sure you didn't see, get to see his speech in the event. No, I had to go. But um, he got he gets up at the end and he walks on stage and he says, um, I've been sitting here all night wondering one thing. When did I turn into Angela Lansbury?
1: <laughs> what did he mean by um, that?
2: <laughs> um, when did I become a grand old lady of the stage?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, and he said, he said, um, he went, I don't remember everything funny he said. And it was really a funny speech. Oh my God. Um, but he said, um, uh, I feel like events like these are God's way of saying, I'm going to need this table soon. <laughs> um, oh yeah, it's, God. uh, he, he really was very gracious and very, very, very fun. Well, you talk about uh, when did
1: he become an old lady of the stage, but he's worked with everybody. And somebody yeah. I didn't even know he worked with or uh, Actually I forget what, what Norm said in the interview But obviously they know each other And they may have worked together But They never worked together really? They just know
2: each other from the community yeah. yeah,
1: It's just awesome to see how many people know him <laughs> And how many people love him And here is Norm Lewis gushing about Nathan Good how are you yeah, Mr. Nice Norm yes. Lewis Fantastic. Nice to, meet you, nice to sir. meet you Actually that's a bit of a lie We met at the stage door at Phantom oh, okay. So uh, tell me about that Correct me if I'm wrong, but you you're the first African-American to play the Phantom on Broadway, Broadway yes. is that right? Uh,
0: Robert, uh, uh, Robert Guillaume played it in Los Angeles in 1990. Wow, yeah. what was
1: it like to take that stage for the first well, time? No.
0: First of all, for me, it was more about just playing the role. And I mean, I happen to have that title. I'm very proud of having that title, being the first African-American, but it could have been any of my colleagues. I have so many friends that are so talented that could have been that role, and it hopefully could probably still be that role. But I happen, to have that, I happen to be that guy. It's bigger than me, what I found out. After the shows, people would come up to me who were from South America, from Asia, from you know, many parts of this world, who said, now I feel like I can do this role. So I represented that, more so than just having the title.
1: That's wonderful, and of course you guest starred in the early seasons of Scandal, which wrapped last or early this year. Did you watch the ending? What did you think? And now Carrie's on Broadway, so there you go.
0: I loved it. I mean, come on, Shonda Rhimes and her team, just they're so smart for one. And just uh, some of that stuff was a little crazy throughout the seasons, but um, it was so great how they wrapped everything together. And uh, uh, I'm just glad I was a part of that history.
1: What do you think that portrait on that wall at the last shot means? Uh, who knows? <laughs> you
0: never know, because sometimes there might be a movie. There, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, who exactly. Knows? Yeah.
1: Exactly. So, what's your history with Nathan Lane? What What brings you here tonight We've for this? We've
0: been, you know, uh, just known each other throughout the the community of actors, and uh, I would consider him a friend. I hope he considers me a friend. Uh, but it's he's someone who I've just admired over the years, uh, on stage and on film and then television things like that. And his talent just is so tremendous and what's interesting about him is that because he is such a big personality on stage or in front of everyone it's interesting to watch him outside of that genre and uh, he's very shy he's a shy man but uh, just tremendous and uh, I'm just glad to be here I'm glad that that we're honoring Are you him.
1: performing tonight?
0: I'm not performing tonight but I will be presenting
1: that's wonderful Norm Lewis thank you thank you thank, thank you. you I know so you much. gotta get in there All right, man. Norm is one of the most affable people uh, in the theater, we met him at this, I met him at the stage door when he was in Phantom. And I think you heard us just talk about that. Um, and uh, he's just such a nice guy. In fact, I went up to him at the end of the night. And I said, uh, when we were done, I said, I want to interview you more full length, because I do. He's done a heck of a lot. And I emailed yeah. his manager. He gave me the email, and I haven't heard anything. So I have to, but it's busy with Thanksgiving and Christmas. But he has a Christmas record out, so I want to make sure I can plug that. He has a holiday record out. Just search for his holiday record, and uh, it just came out, and it's awesome. So it's just uh, Music Man at the Kennedy Center. Yeah, what's that? He's gonna be
2: Harold. Anyone in the DC area? He's gonna be playing Harold Hill at the Kennedy Center opposite um, Jesse Mueller. Will
1: he, be, will he be the first black uh, hill?
2: He might be. I I haven't taken account counting yet, but he might be because
1: he could. That could be a trend for him, which is a good trend to have. It's good to be sort of you know the, the uh, just kind of blazing that trail in theater. I was trying to picture the baseball guy, but I know nothing about sports and make that comparison. But I'm just probably shoving my foot so far up my uh, mouth. <laughs> so anyway, let's move on. Let's get to the man of the night. Uh, there was. Too much press. Not too much press, but the press was clamoring, and this gentleman, Nathan Lane, does not like clamoring <laughs> because by his second or third interview, he was just, you could tell, he was just done with the reporters, and I was able to nab him for like two minutes. And I understand. I'm being compassionate. I think it's so sweet that he did because, you know, there was talk that last year Steve Martin wasn't going to do the carpet, and he did, and it's its great because I know that night is a lot of pressure all guys like that. But Nathan, we talked for a minute, I got to ask him one question, and then uh, I had him say hello to my grandmother because she just had some uh, surgeries and things and she absolutely loves him. So here is the interview with Nathan Lane. Gentlemen, gentlemen. One right Two. Hello, sir. Congratulations on this honor. I just want to ask about Angels in America, real quick. Sure. Uh, such an inspiring role, such a wonderful role. What would you do after each performance of your night to just come down from such a dramatic story?
8: No. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, just go home and go to bed. <laughs> That's all you can do. You know, it's it's you gotta. It's uh, when you're doing a, sh- a show like that. Actually, what is what am- is really two plays. You know, it's about stamina and taking care of yourself, and, and uh, so you you really can't do anything else. It's about getting sleep and rest. It's like an athletic event. So, you know that that's there's, there's not a lot of partying. It's just <laughs> um, so yes, it was sort of surprising how little we all got to. Sp- time we got to spend with each other the cast, it was a wonderful group of people and, and yet, you know honestly, everybody would just had, you know, you just go home and, and to gear up to do it again
1: Of course, and uh, I was just wondering my grandmother loves you, she just had open heart surgery, could you please say Hi Gene
8: Bailey Hi Gene hi Bailey, I, I hope uh, you're recuperating and, and we'll be back on your feed soon
1: Mr. Nathan Lane, what an honor congratulations tonight if you had the opportunity to direct Nathan Lane, what show would you pick? Um. Huh. <laughs> huh. Okay, somebody go right, huh. I, well, the, the 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 rumor
2: is, I this production already has a director, but I'm really excited to see it, um, is that there's a production in the works with him and Laurie Metcalf in uh, Death of a Salesman.
1: You know, a lot of people say... That Laurie Metcalf and uh, I'm off mic here. A lot of people say that Laurie Metcalf and uh, Bruce Willis were completely miscast in Misery. Bruce,
2: Laurie Metcalf wasn't.
1: Okay. Yeah, she plays a wacko pretty good. Has anybody seen The Connors ever? Anyway, um, she's but she's so talented and she is she's experiencing a career explosion right now. So that would be cool to see her with Nathan.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they've worked together a bunch of times, um, and I, I'm very excited to see him in uh, the new Taylor Mac play, Gary. Mm-hmm. Is that here or where's where that? That's on Broadway. It's him and Andrew Martin. When does that? Um, it, this spring. It's it's called the play called Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus.
1: Oh, cool. You know, it's just, and we've got we've gotten into it about star power on Broadway before, but he is one that's genuine who made a film career, I believe, off of his. Career in the theater, and really is deserving of, of everything, and it just seems like he's so content in the theater, like that he didn't need a film career at all. He's just been happy to do plays
2: and music. He loves being on stage, and it's I've never seen him give a bad performance. I've really never seen him give a bad performance.
1: Yeah, I think you heard me ask, how did he go home and cope? And you know, he doesn't even think with when he was doing Angels. And it's interesting to hear him. He doesn't even think about it. It's just sort of innate for him.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, you know, in the first part of *Persuasion* has got to be harder on him, but *Millennium* he really only has four scenes. Right, right. So they're big scenes, but mm -hmm. he really has four of them. Yeah,
1: that's one show that I didn't get to that I wish I would have gone. But one show I actually saw twice, actually kind of two and a quarter times because of the way they do their press day, and you saw it. You didn't see this iteration, but we saw the one two years ago, the or three years ago, The Illusionists, and this yes. one is called Magic of the Holidays. It's on Broadway. It's at the Marquee Theater. This, you know, I know you weren't there, but I want to get your opinion on special events. I want to say thank you to the press people, first of all, that included us. We're not going to tear down The Illusionists. I have nothing negative to say. I have a lot of positive things to say, but it can be very, very tricky to come to Broadway as a special event And um, it seems like that Marquee room is like The special event magnet
2: Well, sort of, if they're getting amused They're getting tootsie in the spring And that's probably going to be there for
1: a bit Yeah, but nothing they do Well, okay, if it's going to be there for a bit But I can't recall in my time in New York When a show lasted more than Two years in that space If that. No,
2: since Millie Millie's the, the longest one Well, it's truly a terrible house it's really just not a great theater. It's it's hard to get to. You have bad signage. The theater's ugly. Um, it it it's really kind of barn like. It 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 manages to be not that big and feel cavernous at the exact same time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, you hear about theaters, big theaters that feel intimate. This is the opposite
1: of that. Yeah. Well, um, this year the illusionists actually went back there, which is where they premiered in. Uh, in, in 2015 and I, or 2014 and I will yeah. say that you're right. For a lot of things it isn't the right house but I think it's right for the illusionists because when we, oh, yeah. we saw it at the Neil Simon where we sat the balcony was too high you were looking at the screens when they were in the house so this is a little tighter which is is nicer for it
2: yeah. and, and and I can absolutely see because you know, we're talking about now that Springsteen's packing up shop um, who's the next big Broadway, Broadway residency going to be? Because this whole residency thing has become—you know—Springsteen brought so much clout to it that now the idea of doing a sit-down show on Broadway is appealing to some really big entertainers, mm-hmm. um, and I am—I um, I could see a lot of them going into the Marquee Theater.
1: To their detriment or to their success? To their success, I think. You know, I think
2: if if Bruce if um you know Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel or or share, or or Lady Gaga or want to do a Broadway residency? It's yeah, they'll, they'll be incredibly successful at it.
1: Plus, I think the Marquee has more ways to sneak big name talent out of the building. Uh, yeah, but I really think that
2: if you know they can do a spring scene on the street, they can do it anywhere. Right.
1: Yeah, and we talked about that when we did the Tonys. So the Illusionists, I have mixed feelings about this run. I like I said, I won't say anything negative. I didn't hate it. But you cannot, the bar was set for me at the one that I don't know if you saw, called Turn of the Century, where it was modern acts, it was contemporary artists. Some people I've even worked with at our local magic convention in Pennsylvania, Um, and so I knew kind of the caliber of people that they had. But what they did with making it an homage to a golden era of magic in the early 20th century can't be beat. It was incredibly staged, it was incredibly well done, It was the right amount of big illusions versus parlor versus close-up. And to do this one, it felt a little hurried. I saw it uh, in previews. I saw it in previews. Uh, But There's a happy ending here. I saw it in previews, and it wasn't tight. They worked the show, reworked it, reworked it. Three days later, on press day, did press, and then that night it was so much better and the audience ate it up. And so it's really cool to see what they can do with a show when they go into a space um, and how it can get tweaked if they have a few if a few extra days to sit down because the audience that saw it on the on the on the Sunday preview they wouldn't have it was so minor they wouldn't have noticed but I noticed cuz had been going to the shows. So, you know, in years past. So, it was really interesting to see it on Tuesday with it was opening night. It was a packed house. And people ate it up. And the MC is a successful magician who has a Netflix show. Adam Trent, he's the MC. He's shouldering a lot of his responsibilities. The illusionist actually toured him uh, separately for a time, and he has a lot of technology magic and and does a lot of stuff that's really cool and really modern. Um, uh, and so now he's back and he's MCing Broadway. There is one person, and I know I said earlier that I wasn't going to say anything negative, so I have. I'm going to go back on that a little bit, but it's a general consensus negativity. There's a wonderfully talented uh, female magician by the name of Chloe Crawford. She does one thing in this show in the first half, and then she appears, the illusionist Darcy Oak, who you're actually not going to hear from today because the audio for that particular interview did not get as good, so uh, we're we're actually going to skip him, um, unfortunately. But she does an appearance with him. And you don't even realize it's her unless you're sitting really close. In this day and age, to have a female magician only do one thing on the show. And and what was interesting is on that show opening night, Adam, they give a, a kit, a magic kit to a kid. And they say, here you go. And that night, it wasn't a bit, they just give it away. That night, he gave it to a little girl and he said, we need more female magicians. And then literally a couple of minutes later, here comes Chloe doing her one bit, never to be seen again. I mean, she appears with a cast and stuff, but her time is only one. And at the end of the show, the people behind me, and this is my opinion alone. I share this opinion. I heard it from people. I'm not speaking for anybody or anybody in the magic community that I may know. It's just, I'm talking about me. That we, I heard behind me, somebody said, well, you talk about wanting more female magicians than you let the, the your one girl only do one thing. It's not a good look on the producer's part. And actually, I put my actual journalism cap on when I'm a, when I'm there, which is rare. Normally, it's just to have fun, ask the silly questions. And I found a crew guy and I said, "So what's the deal that she only does one thing?" He says, "I can't really talk about it. We have NDAs, and I don't really know anyway." So it's it, but he kind of agreed that it was a problem. Say again, Hirsch
2: industry in the, in the theater industry ndas are so rare um like you get them on like really high profile shows and that's about well, it
1: well i don't know if it was nda or just contractually he didn't want to talk about it, but it's a magic show you would have ndas with magic show because of the secrets and things and right, it, right. it's a larger touring production so i could i could see it being an nda but I, I he didn't say nda i don't want to play what what's, what's that what's that
2: I guess you do kind of need a crew person to send an NDA on a magic show.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, but I don't want to say he said NDA because I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the point is contractually he wasn't comfortable talking about it and he didn't even tell me off the record because of the environment we were in. So it's a, it I, I am critical of it, and the reviews were critical of it. It uh, doesn't mean she wasn't good. doesn't mean the show wasn't great. I just would have loved to have seen more of something I liked. So here is the interview, and of course I didn't ask her because it would be rude, but here is the interview with Chloe Crawford. Welcome to New York. I heard you telling others you only spent one night here and now you're here for a whole month and a half. What are you looking forward to doing most while you're in town?
9: I'm super excited to see some, do you want me to yep. Yep. I'm super excited to see some other shows actually, see some other people working hard. Um, I'm going to go see the Rockets which has been a dream of mine since I was a little girl and also going to go check out the Harry Potter show here which I'm so excited. I love watching other magic shows so that's so different to what we do, so I'm super excited about that. Did you
1: see it on the West End?
9: I haven't. No, I haven't been home in, a, in quite a while, unfortunately. I've got to go back and see my family. But uh, but no, I'm super excited to see that. And just, just to be in New York at Christmas, just to have snow and things like that, it, it's not the norm for me. So
1: So now you do, I don't want to give it away, but it's a, a very shocking thing that you do in the show. Uh, how long have you been doing that routine?
9: Uh, probably this... B- The one I do in the show is specifically for this show. I've done other versions of it uh, before, but we really wanted to create something that was different and that other magicians weren't doing. Um, So, yeah, I'm all about trying to make it new, make it fresh, and that's what we did for this show.
1: Do you have a favorite part of the show that isn't necessarily your act?
9: Oh, no I can't say that because I, someone's gonna get mad if I see the wrong person um, I do love light balance it's you know it's that's a kind of a different style of magic really because it's so it's so technical if you saw what happened backstage it's just amazing um, and I you know I love big illusions I love close-up I love everything that the guys do it's really a great team to work with they're so amazing um, and obviously Colin with his um, mentalism is just I still don't know how he does half of the things he does, and I'm, i am literally am right there on stage. I see him pre-setting, and it just blows my mind.
1: Asked while we were listening to that, if she's hypersexualized in the show, a- and she's not. I mean, she wears a low-cut dress, um, but and she flirts with a guy in the audience and her bit. They kind of do it like a date night, but it's not—it's not pervy. It's not super sexual. She is a very classy lady, and she does appear in order to come out for her appearance. That for her bit, she does an appearance, I don't want to give too much away, but, so I guess you could say she does two things, but her section of the show is one thing, and I would have liked to have seen more, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you what, another gentleman, who I absolutely loved, and he did three or four things in the show, and I still wanted to see more, and I'd go see him tour individually, like they did with Adam, Colin Cloud, do you know Colin, I know you know who Darren Brown is, do you know about Colin Cloud?
2: I don't, actually.
1: He is a funny version. I called him off the record. I said, you're like if Darren Brown didn't take himself so seriously. And he laughed because he and Darren are friends. He's this guy who's this forensic person, forensic, uh, I forget what he calls himself, the deductionist. He's kind of a mentalism thing, but he presents it very forensically. His background is in studying forensics, and he's so damn entertaining. He does the audience warm-up before the show properly starts, and it is the tightest magic routine I have ever seen, and it has to be. And you people, this show is worth going to see just for what Colin does at the beginning of it. It will fool Pants off of you, and I'm not going to talk about it. And every time he comes out, it fools the pants off of you. And I know half how half this stuff is done. He blew me away, and he's such a gregarious guy. Here's Colin. Such an interesting background in forensic psychology. Were you ever a, a part of uh, the police force before becoming an entertainer? So,
10: in my fourth year of university, in the last six months, I started working with the police on various uh, implementing various different interrogation type techniques and looking at the approach to that so that was the closest I ever got really to doing I mean it was it was still you know six months working with the police but the bug for performing had bitten by that point so I already knew that this was more what I wanted to do but yeah I think the idea of going back and working with the police at some point does now appeal to me more and more now that I've had more experience working with people and seeing how they respond to the techniques I've developed I would like to now see how I can take a step in the other direction and now use it to essentially fight crime.
1: Exactly. I know that when it comes to mentalism, psychology, magic, it's a mix of things that are actually happening and a mix of things that are still illusions. This is the illusionist. What for you is the percentage and is there a line, this is a bit of a hard question, that you won't cross? Is there something that is too gimmicky as a mentalist that you won't do?
10: I mean, yeah, I think, you know, Mentalism is the closest thing you'll ever see to real mind reading, because obviously it is impossible to read someone's mind. So then it's creating the illusion of doing that. But I don't use sleight of hand or clever boxes. It is psychological, you know? So I mean, as much as there are various psychological tricks that I use, some of them are more are, are easier than others perhaps to master. So it genuinely depends on the people who get picked completely at random to come on stage. And in that moment, I'm able to test what's gonna work with them and what isn't gonna work with them. And uh, based on that, That will determine which avenues and paths I go down, but ultimately how much I'm able to reveal about them and how much of my techniques will work on that person. So every show is completely different. Every show I reveal totally different stuff uh, and that's what keeps it very, very exciting. We were
1: here, I was here Sunday, when the guy put the thing in his pocket. Yes. That was hysterical. Yeah. I don't know if that's part of the thing or not. I don't oh, want you to tell me, but yeah. that was hysterical. Yeah. And I don't know if he was trying to steal it or what, but that was great. An
10: interesting moment, yeah, where the guy, uh, the guy tried to catch me out, and I had to say, you put this in your pocket, haven't you? And he laughed and went, yes, I have. And he brought it out, and I was like, right, get off the stage. We'll use the three that are
1: left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I heard you say it was still previous and I heard you say, if Jen's here, this will be down to seven minutes. by tonight. Yeah.
10: <laughs> Yeah, can I, yeah, 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 yeah. No, pretty much. Uh, because the stuff I do does rely on people. We never know exactly how long it's going to last. So, uh, yeah, the rule is as long as it's going well, you can keep going. But, you know, thankfully it, it never feels long for an audience. And the show is fast paced. But because I'm relying on people and creating those moments, yeah, I have a bit of leeway.
1: And my last question for you where does that incredible, commanding, bounding out stage presence that you have come from? Where does somebody who studied all of this in college get that? confidence in public speaking
10: That's really do you know it's hilarious you say that because if you'd met me when i was like 13 i was the shyest quietest most reserved human being you would ever met in your life and if you told me that i'd be on a stage of any size never mind broadway i'd have laughed at you and then probably you know went into the fetal position somewhere and cried for like a week at the idea of having to to do that so I think it's just now experience and knowing that an audience trusts a performer who comes on stage and it looks confident. And if I'm not confident, much like a hypnotist, the stuff I do will not work, so I need to be confident. And now that I've done it for so long, now that I love genuinely, I'm passionate about what it is I do, the fact I know I get to share that, which is rare that someone in life gets to share what they love with this many people. There's that combination of, you know what, I want to make sure this audience, they're going to see this show probably once in their life. I want to make sure it's the best version of the show they could ever possibly see.
1: Let me ask you before I close it out with it, before we, we do this last one, has your opinion, because of the sort of Springsteen Renaissance, has your opinion about Broadway shows, Broadway residency special event shows, changed at all over the last four or five years?
2: I mean, look, um... If there are a bunch of shows trying to get theaters that couldn't, I'd probably have a hard time with it. Um, just because there's such a limited number of Broadway theaters. But right now, it like this year it seems like everything that was really trying to get in this season got in this season. Um and there's a decent number of special events, so I'm not super there's a large number of special events this year. Um with Mike Robiglio, with with Clay and Rubin, with with uh, Springsteen, with illusionists. Well, let me um, ask you
1: why. I mean they have Vegas, they have <sighs> Pigeon Forge for heaven's sake and and Branson uh, which are not really relevant to the conversation, but there are other places throughout the country like Orlando and and other entertainment resort destinations that are more suited in many ways for a, for a residency than Broadway. It's it's always been a weirder marriage than to see a residency in Vegas. Why are people coming to New York for residencies now?
2: Because they can because people pay to see him.
1: But what's the, what's the draw of, of this audience as opposed to Vegas? Look, Springsteen's grossing $3 million a week on Broadway,
2: and he gets to do it in an intimate theater. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I mean, look, Springsteen, it's not like Springsteen's making a lot of money to do his show, and that's the draw for him on terms of Springsteen levels. He's making a lot of money in terms of most people levels, but Springsteen can make more money trying arenas. Yeah, it, um, I, he, you know, there's there's a there's a
1: um, status about Broadway,
2: and there's a there's a um, elitism about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And now with the advent of these reality competition shows like Penn and Teller, Fool America's Got Talent, literally everybody there was light balance, and unfortunately. Um, the interview didn't get really good with Light Balance because they don't speak English and their translator wasn't really on mic, so I had to cut them as well. Wonderful guys from the Ukraine. They placed third in the 2017 edition of America's Got Talent, and they placed... Uh, and Shin Lim, who's kind of the headliner of The Illusionist this year, um, won it in September of 2018 this year. So it's really cool to see... TV finally kind of informing what people want to see live because for a while it was this fear that TV and nobody would ever go see theater and ne- nobody would ever go to a live show ever again because you can see it on TV. Now people are coming because of that name recognition. Look, it's it's symbiotic. For the first time in
2: my life, theater's cool. You know, as a kid, theater wasn't cool. And then it sort of started to change with Rent, but like on the Fringe, and then it, it started to change with the Wicked – and then it really and then you know when i was a kid the, the spring awakening and next normal was cool with theater kids with other theater kids mm-hmm. but you know this era it's it hamilton dear Van hansen is just kind of cool it's the end stuff as much as i you know say what you want about those shows i'm not the i don't think dear Hansen hansen's the most successful musical i've ever seen but it is it popularizing in the musical theater as an art form it
1: absolutely is well it's interesting you say theater's cool again because of because there are people like shin who go on national tv a close-up magician is not somebody I ever would have thought would have won a television competition show that takes place on the Dolby Theater stage, Or uh, and he here he comes winning it. He makes card magic cool again, because it's beautiful, it's like a ballet, and here is Shin talking about bringing in his piano training to his love of card magic. Thanks, announces your name, what went through your mind?
5: It was crazy man, like uh, everything kind of went silent for a second, like my ears got all muffled and uh, like I couldn't even see the audience to be honest, like everything was really foggy, uh, like there were apparently fireworks going on behind me but I couldn't hear it and then all of a sudden I felt myself being lifted, it was extremely like out of this world type of experience.
1: It was so supportive because the troop that was came in behind you, they immediately put you on their shoulders.
5: No, they, they are amazing. I mean, we've been friends for a while actually. We, we already met up uh, during the judge cuts and so we, we had already, you know, been friends at that time and, and continuously and so I still talk to them. On the-
1: That's great that you, friends can come out of something that is so tense like that.
5: Yeah, it is a very intense competition, but, um, but you know... <coughs> sorry. Yeah, it is, a, it is a very intense competition, but, you know, we, we really bonded together as a family and and you know when we're going through hard times together i think that's when you connect the most
1: i want to make sure our listeners know there is a date here that you're not going to perform uh if that's correct you're there's
5: that was that was true before but that's not not true anymore
1: oh wonderful so you're here throughout the whole run
5: i'm here all throughout (laughs) now
1: who's your artistic inspiration the way you do close-up magic the way you approach it is just so unique you've heard that a million times over but i'm wondering where did that start that unique way of getting into all of it
5: well I I've always loved film uh, specifically Christopher Nolan's films and so that's kind of what inspired me I when I was creating my acts I wanted it to look almost like a movie I wanted people to experience it like a film it had, had a beginning a middle and an end. had some sort of structure and flow um, and I always looked I always kind of looked up to Chris Christopher Nolan's like to films and like like wanted to base it kind of on that and yes you actually listen to the soundtracks it's it's very similar
1: it is. Now, my weirdest question I don't know if you've ever gotten asked this, but I have to know. It's, I apologize because this is going to be a really weird question. Are your hands insured?
5: Actually, no, they're not. And they probably should be. <laughs> they should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably
1: should be. Take some of that, those winnings and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Investigate
5: a policy. Yeah. Probably should. Because
1: have you ever done anything else in your entire life? It's just been magic.
5: No, I actually started magic pretty late, uh, considering. I started at 16. I actually was a concert pianist beforehand. Oh, wow. I was always going to be a pianist. Um, I went to university for piano. Uh, but then I got I got uh, in, an inju- injury, actually, on my hands. And so I had to stop playing the piano. Um, and so then that's why I picked up magic.
1: After. So then how did you find it? How did you go from piano to oh,
5: magic? Magic was always kind of a sideline hobby that I started at 16. Uh, went into university with piano. So I had doing, I'd been doing magic for like three years at that point. And then when I got carpal tunnel on my wrists, I uh, I stopped piano and all I had was magic at that time.
1: And with that, we've gotten through everything, Hirsch. <laughs> yeah, everything. That uh, is
2: it all. Thank you for having me on again, Matt.
1: Oh, thank you for being here. Look, I want to say... Thank you. Uh, people don't do this, but I do it. I want to say thank you to Bon O'Brien Brown, and I want to say thank you to Richard Hillman PR and Philip Karuba, uh, and, of course, at Bar- uh, uh, Michelle at Bono O'Brien Brown. I but three Bs. It's always a tongue twister. Uh, these guys believe in what we do and and really enjoy. I really enjoy working with them, and they let me come and ask questions. And really, it was Richard and Phil with our interview with Len, that was kind of our four way foray into theater and theater press, Broadway press. There's not a lot of outlets that get into a lot of stuff, and it's a tough nut to crack. So I am always grateful whenever we yeah. get to do stuff like this.
2: Any of the times that you and I have been on like Broadway press lines together, you really do get the idea that they all are friends with each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, Richard Ridge was at uh, the Illusionists. There were a lot of Asian outlets actually at the Illusionists because of Shen and his uh, his background internationally. It was, it's, it's so cool to be a part of it because that energy that actors give off on stage, you feel in person when you get to talk to them. Well, yeah. And also the theme
2: of going into Broadway press, that's kind of cool is that it's such a niche thing that you had to love it. It's your job is to be a professional theater fan Mm -hmm. and we are those in the world because there's a lot of us out there that grew up with that. You know, I grew up on Broadway.com and Broadway world. That is, that is how about the theater.
1: Yeah, and so to be literally sandwiched in between when we were in Harry Potter, sandwiched in between Broadway World and Playbill, <laughs> it was quite interesting. And yeah. uh, that New York One bought your iPhone video. I
2: know New York One bought my bought my crappy iPhone video.
1: <laughs> we talk about that. That's funny. Uh, it's it is such a treat to be in with these guys and to to do. I don't want to say in like it's a club, but to hang out with them when we do uh, get to go to these things. It's always so fun. Um, and I know there's limited room because New York has limited space. Theaters can't accommodate a hundred different outlets. They have to be selective. So it's always great when when we get to, to go on these kinds of things. Right. So, and it's always fun to have you with me because then I sound like I know more.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I, I don't know a lot about a lot of things, but I can talk about the theater industry.
1: Well, that's great. It's like you're... You're an encyclopedia. I said at the top, you're an encyclopedia. I'm brain I'm man,
2: brain man for a uh, for a theater for a theater. Oh,
1: statistic. not rain, but you know a lot, and you've dedicated your life to it, and you are somebody that it is actually an honor to know because I know you're going to go far in, in what you do, and and uh, that's fair. Very- but you have to promise that I'll be on the press line when you make your big Broadway debut. Oh, of course. <laughs> All right, Hirsch, signing off for Dog for Two. I'm Matt Bailey. And I'm Hirsch Ellis. Reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two. See you next time.
0: You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfortwo.com.